The season is finally here, and non-conference opportunities for Pac-12 teams are everywhere. They are abundant. And what sort of effect could they have on recruiting? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day for watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. And we're talking recruiting today, and I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do indeed apply. No warning label needed in the negative sense when we have on John Garcia Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated, because it's always good vibes and great information and insight on the recruiting front, which is why we keep bringing him back. John, the season is upon us. This episode dropping on uh, the game day, the, the game day, Saturday, right? Games will have already happened. We're recording a little earlier in the week, but man, games are are going on, right? I'm already excited for how I'm going to feel by the time you're listening to this show. I know you are as well. Football's here. Yeah, it's it's you're projecting the the emotion here, and that's that's elite scouting and evaluation ability there but yeah i think i think the ceiling for that is is pretty up ear to ear smiles or at least excitement right the food should be right the settings will be right you know getting all the tvs positioned the right way your tablets phones whatever you're using in this regard will be positioned and charged up and ready to go because yeah we've got a full slate from Thursday to Monday. I mean, it's it's as beautiful as it gets. Labor Day weekend, people have time off. I mean, let's go. Strap it up. Let's let's go right now. Yep, we are uh, we are more than ready. And that's one thing I I want to ask you about is as the season actually begins, recruiting does not end. Quite the opposite, frankly. It's not your sole focus the way it may be at some points in the off season, but it is still you know, you have to strike that that sort of balance. What is that like for coaches and staffs who are game planning, who are making adjustments from the previous week, dealing with injuries, dealing with roster changes if guys uh, leave the program or anything like that? You have everything to manage for a football team, and then you have to be able to coordinate visits and figure out who you want to have on campus and recruits. What is that like for a college football staff? It sounds like two parents trying to feed seven kids for dinner. It's just a logistical nightmare. There's really no other way to put it, Spencer. It is tough. I mean, it's it's the main reason why some coaches don't ever come back to college football. They get to the NFL or they get one of these sweet deals in high school football where they're they're making six figures as the head coach, and they just kind of stay put because it is really a, a 12-month deal in college football because of the recruiting. And I think that's part of the reason why we see such an emphasis in the offseason, right? The the opening up of the visit windows to the spring and particularly the summer months where you can begin taking official visits has really helped this group to relax at least a little bit, right? Because now in theory, 
most of your recruiting classes are at least 50% done. In some cases, closer to 75 or even 100%. I mean, I think there's like 15 teams that have over 20 verbal commitments right now nationally. So they're close to done in the class of 23. But you still have to pivot and recruit, whether it's keeping your guys verbally committed or trying to wrap up the class of 23. Oh, and by the way, you're also recruiting 2024. You're making overtures in 2025, maybe first impressions with that group. I've seen class of 2026 kids scheduling <laughs> visits for this weekend. So you're talking That's about a high school away. freshman who has played who has played one game of varsity football in his life. Oh my! Maybe with a scholarship offer or two already on the table. Now he is going to check out a couple campuses during the fall. So you're always recruiting multiple classes, but obviously the senior class is the priority. So you're trying to either wrap that up or take the turn, you know, and, and maybe start to wrap up the class. So that communication and time management and organizational skill has to be a one. It has to be uh, totally laid out. If you're the head coach, you've got to delegate. You got to play CEO ball in this regard and make sure that uh, your staff, your resources, your support staff, the GAs, the student assistants, everyone in the lunchroom, whoever you've got at your disposal, you're trying to make sure that they are ready and prepared for when these kids come to town. Because in the, let's say a, a kid, you know, a kid's local, right? He's local to Los Angeles and he gets up on a Saturday. There's It's a 3.30 kick, right? He gets up on a Saturday, he eats his breakfast and he heads over to the stadium before lunch, right? So now he's got like six hours on campus that needs to be organized and allocated, right? So you've got some kind of meal that he's going to deal with while on campus, some type of maybe a mini tour. Maybe you're going to the locker room and trying on a jersey. So now your support staff is handling that. Meanwhile, like you said, these coaches are trying to win the game. They're trying to prepare <laughs> to win a game on their field like in a few hours. So you're just not that much time for them to get up with you as a recruit. So that's where everyone else is honest up uh, to, to take some of that slack. Uh, and, and it really goes down to even the people driving the golf carts, the tour guides, the hosts that are trying to stretch the time out and, and really fill some gaps with some of these recruits and their families, by the way, maybe a high school coach, siblings. It, it's really not even just about the 50 or so kids that visit every weekend, but their crew and, and group alongside them so it's a nightmare there's really no other way to put it and then maybe after the game you get 10 minutes where you can go in and, and sit down with, with these recruits as as coaches to get some time with them maybe before the press conference after the press conference before you even address your team in some scenarios uh you get that um, or you just hope and pray a lot of these kids have a more free time and they stick around longer once the game wraps up and then you can get a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time in that regard. We've seen it done on the field um, immediately after games or before games while, while players are stretching. Maybe it's really a, a true test of, of time management and delegation simultaneously. So it's really hard for these, these coaching staffs to do so, which is why I, I think, you know, these staffs have grown uh, exponentially over the last 10 years or so. And there's really no slowdown in sight. There is no NCAA rule capping how many support staffers you can have. I think everyone by now has seen that picture of the University of Florida's staff. Um, there was 100, I believe 150 players or something like that, and like 135 staffers, right? So there's <laughs> oh, really, man. there's no cap to that regard. So that's why these ADs, these boosters, fundraisers, whoever you want to talk about are continuing to push for more. And that's why these TV deals, all that stuff simultaneously is growing 
because you got more people to pay. Uh, you know, and it's not just it's far from just the coaching staffs and recruiting, I would say, is the number one reason why that these staffs have only grown uh, and, and exponentially grown, I should say, over the last decade or so. So it's it's really tough to do so in season. And that's why the teams that are great stay great and why there's not a whole lot of of that second tier that are coming up to challenge those programs, because this is something that, you know, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and this group has figured out, you know, well before the, the rest. Yeah, that recruiting is the lifeblood of, of your program. That That's just the way college football tends to work. You can win games and not be an elite recruiting team, but can you get to a college football playoff without recruiting at a high level? History would indicate the answer to that question is a firm no. We, we haven't really seen a team. Cincinnati's probably the, the best example of one where you're not a top 10 or 15 class. And I don't even know what their classes have been. I assume they've they're, been. They're getting into that range the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're, mo- they're mo- moving into that range. But, you know, the, the teams that are recruiting at a top 30 to 50 level in that range every year, those are teams that could be good, could be an 8-9 win program. But to be a 10-11-12, you got to have the dudes, right? X's and O's. You got to have the Jimmys and the Joes in uh, in college football. Lots more to get to on the recruiting front, including a Pac-12 school that doesn't place as high a priority on uh, recruiting. They know exactly what they want to do, but they do it very well and can be a college football playoff team. Could be this year, even. I'll tell you who that is after I tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, MMA, boxing, my personal favorite golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline is where the game starts. So, John, one team that doesn't have a history as an elite recruiting program, but has catapulted themselves into uh, the national stage in a big way over the last few years, is Utah. And they win in a different way than a lot of college football teams do, but hopes are very high for them this year. They could certainly be and have a schedule that will that would allow them to be in the college football playoff if they were a 12-1 and conference champion. I think they'd have a very good chance of doing that, certainly if they went undefeated, but that's a pretty difficult thing to do. The thing with Utah, though, is they've been growing, I think, in their brand nationally and their recognition and respect, right, especially with that Rose Bowl game against Ohio State, even though they lost they put on quite a show and you know that's a game that 15 16 million people watched across the country everybody was kind of put on notice that Utah had arrived in a major way as a team that could be a college football playoff caliber program and they were also a game away in 2019 when they lost the Pac-12 championship game to Oregon they were number 5 they were 11 and 1 they would have had a really good case for getting in had they been able to to beat the Ducks in Santa Clara that year what is it about Utah though that doesn't lead them to place seemingly as high an emphasis on recruiting, or at least they don't see the sorts of results that, that other teams do when when they start to win or turn it around. I mean, this is a Utah team right now in the class of 2023 that is behind Arizona, 
that is behind Stanford in the recruiting rankings. I believe they're behind Colorado as well. And those three teams combined last year didn't win as many games as Utah. Like <laughs> it, it, it hasn't been a hallmark of Kyle Whittingham to recruit at an elite level. And it clearly works for him and whatnot. But what doesn't it feel like there's some untapped potential there with, with how they've kind of arrived on the national scene? Yeah, you could absolutely make that argument, Spencer, that Utah should be uh, one of the you know top 15 or so recruiting programs in the country because that's what they've been on the field over the last half decade or even beyond in, in some years. But they just do their own thing. And there's just a group of programs that focus on their team, development, and kind of the long play. Uh, and I think they think it takes care of itself in the end. So what do you what do you see from a numbers perspective in the offseason? You you don't get that big boom. We've talked about it with Texas and Miami. Oregon went on a nice run. USC is maybe still on their run. These teams that had these great offseason recruiting booms where 10 or 15 kids want to verbally commit. We, we don't see that at a Utah. They don't utilize all their official visits in the offseason. Obviously, they recruit a very specific type of kid, more hard-nosed, physical type of player basically at every single position uh, compared to others so they have a more relaxed uh, culture when it comes to recruiting and a lot of that to me puts onus on the the season and on the fall the combination of allowing their play to do some talking with some kids that are maybe on the fence as well as allowing these kids to maximize their ability as seniors before prioritizing a few of them at the end of recruiting cycles. We hear about more about Utah in November, December recruiting as opposed to June and July, where a lot of other programs are trying to take advantage of an elongated offseason from a recruiting and visit window perspective. Uh, so I think Utah just kind of does its own thing, just 12 verbal commitments at this point. They're in the ballgame for a few more. They're, they're, they're in need in the trenches, and certainly we expect them to satisfy that need, but they are content with development. They've also begun to utilize the transfer portal just a little bit. So I think that is a nice supplement to what Kyle Whittingham and company want to do at Utah. So I just I just think there's again a few schools, Iowa comes to mind, Wisconsin comes to mind, even Stanford who you mentioned earlier that just kind of do it their way. I think uh Penn State and Michigan are in that conversation, Iowa State maybe as well. They just kind of do it their way. It is it is typically not the flashiest, most high-profile recruit, but they'll develop you. Uh, and they'll go everywhere to get you. I think that's maybe the biggest misconception with Utah. They don't stick in the Pac-12 footprint. They're heavy in Texas, where they've got four commitments right now, a third of their class from the Lone Star State. We know about their prowess in the state of Florida with the Tyler Huntleys uh, uh, of the world uh, that have come through, Zach Moss, there's a, a countless list of others in that regard. So I do think that they will go outside of that footprint and find the best football players, not the highest rated, but the best football players with the highest floors to begin developing and fostering uh, with what Utah wants to do down the line. So it's kind of that nice combination of we'll let our play do the talking. Now, the, the other question is, is this the missed opportunity if they would push more in the offseason? I still think that answer is yes. You know, just because it ain't broke don't mean you can't fix it. Uh, contrary to how the saying goes, you can enhance what you do at Utah if you get in maybe a little bit earlier with certain recruits and and play a little bit of that game. But it appears to be something that's on the back burner 
for Whittingham and company. And, and it's worked on the field with that strategy. Now, how much adaptation do we see going forward? I think that could be an entirely separate conversation because I think even, even an old school coach like Kyle would admit the game has changed. You have to play a different type of ball game, whether it comes to early scholarship offers, NIL, any of that conversation that, you know, the things that we associate with more modern, younger coaches, younger programs from, from a coaching perspective. So I will be curious to see how that adaptation or lack thereof goes with Utah going forward. Because again, this has been about which teams can utilize the new rules in recruiting to jump a tier. And if Utah is one of the schools in the thick of that second tier, just outside of the playoff conversation, how can they jump? And this would this would appear to be the logical way for them to do so. Maybe the portal is kind of their answer, but will they play the game? Will they play the game that we're seeing other schools, Miami, you know, start to jump into to try to make one of these these leaps, Texas, Tennessee, some others, try to make one of these leaps into that next tier? I'm not sure they will, but again, to this point, it hasn't hurt them dramatically on the field from a head-to-head 11-on-11 perspective. It is worthy of note that three of their five highest rated commits all time have come in their last three recruiting cycles. 2022 is uh, Lander Barton, right? Their their highest rated recruit in, in that class. So they're maybe starting to creep into that sense. But I, I just agree with you that if you're a perennial top 15 team, you're in a state like Utah that I, I feel is kind of similar to Washington in that traditionally you think of it as, you know, and Utah's not as populous as the state of Washington. So that one, that state probably has a little bit more of an advantage here, but you got a good amount of talent in, in Utah. Yeah. There's a very strong Polynesian connection to Utah. We know how big that culture has been uh, across the college football landscape for the last, I don't know, 40 years or, or so. A lot of, a lot of players with, with that sort of background, the Sewells are, are from there, right? Uh, Panay and Noah, of course, went to Oregon, but Nephi went to Utah and became a, a very good player. But I'll be interested to see how that evolves going forward and whether or not they they they, they change in that sense. Because you look at the, the teams that have, you know, and I think it, it is partially a function of Kyle Whittingham knows what he is and what he wants and how to win football games. And he doesn't, I, I think, have the urgency that some other coaches do, right? Mario Cristobal got to Oregon, elevated the recruiting profile of the Ducks in ways that we just hadn't seen before, right? And now our perception of Oregon as a, a, a recruiting power has shifted. USC has always been able to bring in some big-time recruits. But Jed Fish goes down to Arizona and, boom, right away gets the highest-rated recruit in program history and Titiroa Macmillan, right? You see it at a number of other programs, and I just wonder if Utah – Will eventually, I don't doubt that they'll be able to be competitive and really good in the Pac-12, whether they do or not. But I wonder if they start to bring in more high four and get the first five star in school history, because you just feel like it's a program that's starting to get that sort of respect. You know, all it takes is one. All it takes is yeah. one to, to start to shift that conversation. So I certainly wouldn't rule it out with Utah because, you know, something we haven't talked about is how these kids view these schools, stability is more important than it's ever been, right? Kids want to yeah. play in the NFL. They want to win on Saturdays, NIL, whatever it is. Stability is becoming, especially for quarterbacks and high-profile offensive players, stability and system has become important. And like you said, you know what you're getting 
with Utah. So I do think that creates a, a bit of an intrinsic advantage going forward with how the Utes operate. So, uh, you know, a kid in that region who maybe, you know, uh, maybe a lineman that, that falls in love with that culture first, I, I think it could be, you know, closer rather than further. Though, again, uh, I, I don't think Whittingham is going to be Googling and refreshing the recruiting rankings anytime soon. <laughs> Let's move over to USC now and a couple guys who are tied to the program with Lincoln Riley, one committed to uh, rumored to be in the mix. We'll start with the quarterback, Malachi Nelson, who had us all kind of on the edge of our seats with a somewhat cryptic t- tweet when he said, stay tuned. And after hearing previous rumors of like, hey, Texas a and going to try and lobby him really hard. I saw that and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, what's he about to say? But it was good news. For USC, So they get a commitment from a, a wide receiver and that kind of appears to indicate that, that Malachi will not get poached by a, another school. Do you feel that way about this latest wide receiver commit for Lincoln Riley? Yeah, Jacoby Lane, big time, long, fast wide receiver out of Arizona. And now this USC receiver class looks pretty darn strong, right? Number one (laughs) slot in the country, Zach Branch verbally committed. Makai Lemon, uh, which is Nelson's teammate at Los Alamitos, is verbally committed at receiver. Now you throw in a Jacoby Lane, who's that tall kind of classic wide receiver one from a frame perspective. uh, And this becomes one of the better receiver halls in the class of 2023. So as a quarterback, yeah, that matters. That's important to the conversation. But yeah, of course he visited AM. Everyone saw that at this point. So now the question becomes, does he go back? You know, he's taken one official visit. It was to USC, the, the school he's committed to. Does he consider other schools? We were hearing about other programs trying to get him on campus before the AM visit popped in. So there, there appears to be some interest in at least doing some due diligence. But in terms of the alarm of the cryptic tweet, yes. That, we believe, was was for Jacoby Lane, who committed a couple hours after Nelson put put that tweet out. Uh, and, yeah, celebrating that commitment is certainly a, a feel-good moment for the USC fan base. But, again, you know, things are touchy in recruiting, especially with quarterbacks. Um, and I like to remind folks that he picked USC before Caleb Williams transferred to USC, before kind of this group of Trojans came together. So, watching how the season goes could have an impact here, right? What if it doesn't work out so well uh, for, for Caleb Williams and company, and they, they need to really kind of dig in and reset for, for what they're going to be. And it appears as if he'll be a college player a little bit longer. Does that impact the timeline and path, the playing time for Malachi Nelson to the point where he looks elsewhere? It's, it's hard to, to gather that in a couple of months, but stranger things have happened. And, and that's what other schools are going to bring up in trying to poach him, particularly those like Texas A&M that don't have a quarterback verbally committed in this class of 23. So not over until it's over, but for now, I think USC fans can relax a a little bit off of that panic button moment that, that maybe they were gearing up for when Twitter, uh, you know, became a blaze with Malachi Nelson speculation. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball for a couple uh, of really big time guys. The Trojans are after Nicole's Harbor, not a guy we've talked about as often uh, as Mateo Uyunglele, who's also heavily considering Oregon. It's, you know, kind of been down to Oregon, Ohio State and uh, USC for Mateo. But let's start with Harbor, who is some kind of athlete, John. He is uh, he is 
as physically gifted of a guy as you're going to find in the country for next year's recruiting cycle. And this is the sort of defensive player you feel USC needs to be able to bring in to to give Alex Grinch a, a chance to make his defenses better than they were at, at Oklahoma. It's not what the Sooners were ever known for, and, and they weren't able to bring in high-level players consistently on that side of the ball, but kind of feels that being in the mix for these sorts of players, and uh, they already have a couple defensive players committed who are pretty highly rated, like Tackett Curtis, uh, the linebacker, Braylon Shelby, another edge prospect, a couple of four-stars there. Where where are the Trojans at with, with each of those guys? Let's start with Harbor. With Harbor, it's it's the early stages of, of this recruitment because he is a legitimate two-sport star, a legitimately borderline Olympic-level track star at 6'4", oh, wow. 225. It just doesn't resonate to say that out loud, even though I've begun saying it more and more. <laughs> He's 10-2 in the 100-meter dash, so he presents a different conversation when he looks at these schools, it's not just about football or any one position in football, by the way. He's a receiver. He's a pass rusher, tight end. He can do a little bit of everything. But track is is really important in this conversation. And there's this caveat that he might just go pro in track right out of high school. So there's, there's another layer to this recruitment that has prolonged the official visit portion of the process. But he's starting to set some game visits. I think Michigan, South Carolina are, are going to get him on campus. USC, Oregon, LSU, some others that we think Miami that are going to get into that conversation and position itself for a potential official visit. Uh, and obviously, when you talk about the combination of two sports, uh, you know, track's got you know a great reputation in the Pac-12 in particular, um, especially with Oregon. But certainly USC is, is no slouch in that regard. So I do think that is a selling point for Harbor, who coming out of Washington, D.C. is a total national recruit i mean there's there's really no better way to project him uh, other than a national recruit because he is very much interested in the pac-12 programs that are on his list but again it's early he hasn't taken a lot of visits track is a huge factor here so to try to project who could be in the best shape for him would be a, a bit of a fool's errand at this stage but once he starts setting and taking the visits i think the picture becomes a little bit clearer uh, even though he's got that that overlying decision to make on whether or not to go pro in an, an entirely different sport on top of all of this. So play the long game if you're a Trojan fan regards to Harbor, because uh, he'd be worth it from an athletic pr profile perspective. There's no more impressive specimen in America than this kid, but also from a football perspective, I think he would be worth uh, bringing in basically whenever he's ready. Kind of like we talked about with Josh Connerly last cycle with how long he took to make a decision. If, if it goes that way with Harbor, that's okay because the talent warrants that kind of attention no matter when he's uh, ready to make a decision. Last thing for you, John. Any update on Mateo Uyunglele, whose brother DJ is gearing up for a season at uh, Clemson? Kind of seems like Mateo is uh, going elsewhere. So what uh, what's the latest on him? Yeah, Mateo's starting to line up some visits. Uh, Ohio State will get him on campus this weekend for the big Notre Dame showdown, and it looks like he'll take in some of the more you know impressive atmospheres in the country. Again, he's already taken visits to all of his contenders, so this is more about due diligence and just kind of refreshing the in-season impression that these programs can give. So with him being a SoCal kid, we know he'll be at USC at some point. I would expect Oregon to get him on campus at least one more time as well. And, and as you mentioned, if – if you're betting on the conference that he's going to play in when it comes to his college football, I'd put that fake money 
on the Pac-12 at this moment because USC and Oregon, along with Ohio State, appear to be the front runners. Though, how could you count out Clemson? How could you count out an Alabama at the 11th hour, uh, the longer this thing uh, is extended? So for now, game visits will we'll play the, the picture or paint the picture, I should say, with Uyangalale, but it, it appears as if there's still some time before a final decision comes in. Well, recruiting continues afoot, even though the season is finally back. It's great to have football back, and it's great to have John Garcia, Jr., Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. Good to talk to you, as always, John. Likewise, my friend. Thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.